You're listening to episode five of the Practice Brave podcast. Welcome to the Practice Brave podcast. I'm your host, Brianna Battles, a strength and conditioning coach and the founder of Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism. The Practice Brave podcast brings you the relatable, trustworthy, and transparent health and fitness information you're looking for when it comes to coaching, being coached, and transitioning through the variables of motherhood and womanhood. If you're a pregnant or postpartum athlete or a coach working with this population, this show is specifically designed for you. All right, let's get started. Hey guys, welcome back to the Practice Brave podcast. Today, I'm interviewing Carrie Pagliano, who is a total badass. She is a public floor physical therapist, and she is also an athlete. She's a mom, and she is a absolute leader in this industry with what she has done to help bridge the gap between um, physical therapy and collaborating with a lot of coaches. And today we're going over like WTF is pelvic floor physical therapy. We are breaking it down in one of the best interviews I have ever done with a pelvic floor physical therapist because it gives you all of the information that you need to know to really have context around what does this appointment look like? What should I expect? What are some of the barriers? And have all of your questions, all the questions that I get asked about pelvic floor physical therapy answered here. So I'm really excited to bring her on and showcase her voice, her expertise, and give you the resources and reassurance that I think you've been looking for. Hey guys, welcome back to the Practice Brave podcast. I'm so excited to have my friend and colleague, Carrie Pagliano here to talk about all things What the heck is the pelvic floor and pelvic floor physical therapy? She is a wealth of knowledge to share all of this information and things that maybe don't typically get addressed as women, as athletes, as coaches, as practitioners. And she is a great person to help connect all of the dots around this subject matter. So Carrie, thank you for being here. Will you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. That that was quite an introduction. Um, <laughs> so I'm Carrie Pagliano. I've been a physical therapist for 20 years. I practice in Arlington, Virginia, and I've been doing pelvic health most of that time. And really, I think my best education has been my own kids and they help you kind of pull stuff together. And I've had my own issues and pelvic organ prolapse, pelvic floor issues, diastasis, recti, kind of you name it. And so when you go through it and then you're also working in it, it makes you kind of look at things in a little bit different way. So for me, it's it's fun being able to work with patients and, and help them figure out their problems, especially when they've been told they can't do things. I love asking why and can we do better? And it's just been a whole lot of fun being able to kind of work with people like you, uh, coaches and trainers, and, and keep asking questions and keep pushing the envelopes to help our patients. So that's me from a clinical perspective. And then I'm also president of the Academy of Pelvic Health Physical Therapy, at least for another couple months. So that's been quite an honor and privilege as well. Absolutely. So you guys, how cool is it that she is here and she is absolutely a leader in the physical therapy realm and the women's health realm? And you know what? She runs, she does CrossFit, she's a mom. So everything that Carrie does is relatable, but also from a scope of this is what she does for a living. And she has just been so helpful for me as a mentor with connecting the dots and understanding just greater conversations outside of core and pelvic floor and rehab and, you know, and or CrossFit or whatever it might be. So Carrie, can you tell us a little bit more about what you like to do for fun or for your own recreation? 
Sure. So my background, I grew up in upstate New York. Up there, we do running. And I also was a a state-level cross-country skier and swam a little bit in high school. Went on and and my background, actually in college, I was on rifle team. And then when I finished up and moved down to DC, I've just been running for a long time. Actually had hip surgery about 13 years ago, and that changed things a little bit as far as the running goes. And of course, kids do that too. And about three years ago, I've got my mind totally opened up to load training. And I am fortunate that I live two blocks from a CrossFit box with a great community. And so I spend a couple days a week there um, with my 930 friends who are pretty much all parents, which is awesome. And I also do yoga, usually about once or twice a week, running kind of, and then obviously running after two elementary age kids. So I think that counts. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but I've, I've learned more from just being able to kind of be in those spaces. And, and especially from CrossFit, I spent my first year just with my head down trying to learn stuff for myself and learn the culture and really just understand things. And I, I think that's half the battle is trying to understand instead of going in and telling people how it is. So it's, it's been fun. You know, there really is so much to say for getting in the trenches with yeah. the with the clients or with the patients that you have so that you can really understand what are they feeling? What is it that they want to do? How are they doing mm-hmm. it? And then how is this impacting a part of their body that frankly, none of us as women, I don't feel have been really educated upon other than just like sex and puberty right. or like, re- you know, like just basic reproduction. So I think then applying it to exercise and, and then you having mm-hmm. that ability to kind of put on your, your clinical hat while still doing the athletic thing yeah. helps it be so relatable. And, you know, with getting athletes to understand that we want to get what you're doing and I want to feel it and I want to understand what it is you want to do. And I'm willing to get in the trenches and try it with you, whether it's running or yoga or CrossFit or whatever it might be, or yeah. at the very least be willing to listen. And that's what you guys, I love about Carrie so much is she is willing to get in the trenches and answer really tricky questions. And there are so many, <laughs> seriously. Oh my gosh. But how many times have I sent you a text going, okay, here's, here's the situation. Like I, I need, I need your brain on this so that together we can, we can really come up with a solution. So she's been very yeah. collaborative with helping out on the, the spectrum of women that we are working with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have patients come in all the time and you kind of know this feeling too, like, gosh, I should have known, I should have known better. And I think having gone through some of this stuff ourselves, you know what that feeling's like. And you know, if somebody told you, you can't do this anymore, you're not going to listen to them anymore. You're going to go find somebody who's going to work with you. And I think there's also been a huge shift, or at least in my spheres, where there's just a ton more abundance mentality instead of scarcity mentality. And so I'm learning so much from coaches and trainers and, and mindfulness experts and just areas completely outside of PT that help me come back and look at PT through a little bit different lens and problem solve because so many of the things that we're talking about in pelvic health, the data just isn't there yet. Right. Um, there's no yeah. research dollars for this like there is for low back pain or, or opioids or things like that. And so right. we're literally on the forefront of trying to make this stuff up as we go as best we can based on on the literature. But that's where you get the heads together and you start figuring things out. And it's about that person in front of you instead of oh, why are they going to the trainer instead of PT? Like that's not, it's a non-issue. It's a non-question. And it's so much more fun 
to be able to brainstorm and see somebody get better when you throw some heads together than play the the, the pissing contest, basically. Totally. So, yeah, it's been super fun. Yeah. I, I mean, I come back to that all the time when people are like, so do we have research on this or why isn't there research on that? I'm like, we are the research right now. We, we are, are the yeah. case studies. Like we are connecting the dots between human performance, <clears throat> strength and conditioning, just overall athleticism, strength conditioning research and women's health research and public health research, and then connecting as many dots as we can. And then finding the professionals Mm -hmm. who also get it from an evidence standpoint. Yes. But also because we're applying in a variety of ways and seeing like what works for what person, because there is no one size fits all way of doing things, but can we understand the evidence and apply it in a way that is propelling people forward. And I think you've done a great job of that. And I've always felt so supportive and thankful that you've embraced the fitness community and, and, you know, so many of the pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coaches, I know go to you and try to, (laughs) you know, and you've just been such an advocate for us. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, I I learn something from you guys all the time. So it's, for me, it's a pleasure and I learned something. and, And the best part is, is when you have patients that don't feel guilty that they're doing the wrong thing or Yes. Um, they, they feel that therapeutic alliance that, hey, you know what, I'm going to go try this and have the ability to problem solve as a patient and have that skill set so that, you know, they can kind of work through things that come up. I mean, I always tell people, I'm like, first of all, my index finger doesn't make me special. Second <laughs> of all, like, I don't want you to have to rely on me for everything. Whatever you love to do, let's give you kind of an overlay of things that we know work for you to help you kind of work and progress through this. And it's, it's awesome when I have a trainer or a coach or somebody to be able to kind of pass off to, and we can speak the same language and the patient feels like they have a cohesive kind of dialogue going on between everybody. They feel like they've got a team working behind them that knows where they want to go. And and even better, a lot of us being moms, we we know what that feels like when you're like, I need a win. (laughs) I know. Um, And to be able to do that and get part of your identity back is such a massive privilege to be a part of. Oh my gosh. I, I mean, I agree obviously so much because I think people get caught up in, well, I have to go to the whatever practitioner Mm -hmm. every week or every two weeks to feel good. And I'm like thinking to myself, if you have to go to a practitioner every week or every two weeks, then we're missing the point. Like we are trying to get you away from the practitioner and into the kind of fitness and health that you want. And while there's of course a time and a place for very consistent physical therapy, do not get me wrong there, anybody listening. (laughs) Um, But the goal is for you not to be in physical therapy forever or have that be like something you have to go to. Like Carrie wants to see you leave. She wants to see you leave because that means she did her job. You know, exactly. she wants to see you come to me. She wants to see you go and do yoga and run and do your triathlons and do your power lifting. But can we be there early on in the trenches working together to help progress that situation? Yeah. Like that's yeah. the goal. Yeah. One of the biggest changes I've made probably in the last year, and I, I can't say that this is mainstream. I, I hope it'll be one day, but I, I blame it on me doing this for, for 20 years at this point is feeling free enough within you know, the direct access that we have within the U.S. as PTs, but then also, you know, ACOG coming out a couple of years ago and, and kind of really recognizing that fourth trimester, like I'm starting to see patients two and three weeks postpartum, not because anybody told me to or because I asked, but because we all know what that six-week follow-up visit looks like. And even though, you know, ACOG is saying, hey, let's get in touch with 
the, the patient within two or three weeks, that might just be a phone call or, hey, are you alive? Or is, is there still meeting? Like really kind of basic stuff. And then that six week visit is really, are you on birth control? Is anything that was stitched up, is that healed? Do you need anything else? And, and maybe if you're lucky, you get a pap, probably right. not. That's not even remotely what we're looking at. And from PT, there's a lot of pushback. I can't do an internal until they do their six-week visit, you know, so mm-hmm. on. But there's so much you can do from an education perspective, especially with first-time yes. moms. I mean, you remember what those first couple of weeks are like, like, you know, breastfeeding, positioning, gosh, my hip is uncomfortable, my back hurts, I, I'm having leakage, things feel like they're falling out, at least to talk people off the cliff. Yes. And then I also use real-time ultrasound. So I'm doing an external assessment of the pelvic floor and the deep abs. And one of the, the it's, it's so much fun actually is, I'll have this happen later on if I have patients that use your online postpartum program or another one, and they'll say, well, hey, this is, I'm doing this, but I'm not really sure if it's helping they'll show me what their strategies are and we can look and see, are they actually doing what they thought they were doing? And what I found with that is like a third of the people totally fine. The cues work third of the people. It could go either way. And then another third of the people, the cues that it's, it's amazing how, you know, a hundred different people can take like one sentence and interpret it a different way or the body Mm -hmm. interprets it a different way. So just to confirm and get that strategy going. And there's so many of those strategies, you know, in the first couple weeks postpartum, And then if you've got other kids, you're having to pick them up. You're having to do all these things. And there's a lot of fear around that. So there's so much to being able to have that early access and education and at least giving a place for people to be able to ask questions that, you know, typically they won't have time for in that quick postpartum visit with their GYN. It's very different topics too. Absolutely. You know, I loved, I went to my public floor physical therapist here out in Southern California. I think I was about two and a half or three weeks post C-section. And, you know, she is a friend and colleague of mine, but strategy wise, I was probably doing pretty well, but it was just having somebody who made me feel safe and seen and understood and just reassured. Like I just needed reassurance that I was okay and just mm-hmm. a check-in because so much of it is just like, even if you have a really good birth, and this is with the, the birth of my second son, um, where I knew a lot more of you know what to mm-hmm. do, so to speak, in that early chapter postpartum. But it was just that assurance knowing that somebody has their hands on me and their eyes on me, and I don't have to be guessing about my body. I have a person. Absolutely. Um, because a doula cannot provide that for us. A doctor can't really provide that for us. And I had really great like birth team support people, but Mm -hmm. it's different. So getting a pelvic floor physical therapist who understands your body from a muscular standpoint and also what your body's just been through from a birth perspective and now into a healing and rehabilitative perspective really connects the dots for everything a woman needs in those initial weeks postpartum. Absolutely. It's just, I mean, it's a different skill set. Look, we're not trying to to take work away from anybody else. It's just, we look at things completely differently. And, you know, the, the beauty is too, like if other little orthopedic things come up, I mean, with, with my oldest, I had decorvenes or or mommy thumb and Mm -hmm. it was debilitating. Tell us what that is. We can, oh geez. So um, it's, it's (laughs) pain. (laughs) I'm having PTSD talking about it. So you'll have pain on the thumb side of your wrist. Mm-hmm. And it'll kind of shoot down into your wrist a little bit. It's different from carpal tunnel because carpal mm-hmm. tunnel is going to be on your forearm. They're not exactly sure, you know, why people have it, but I can guarantee that it's related to hormones and also related to swelling as well. So you can have nerve irritation through there. 
And so uh, I had it through the end of my pregnancy with my first and then postpartum with him. And when I would change his diaper and he, you know how kids kick when you change their diaper and he would accidentally hit on that and it would just send me flying. And fortunately I have a great friend who came to the house and took care of me and, you know, it can come from the neck and posture and it can be nerve stuff and swelling. And the nice thing is a lot of us that are in pelvic floor PT, we have background and a lot of this other stuff too. And to be able to talk you off the cliff on that and say, Hey, why don't you try this? Why don't you do this? And more and more PTs are actually going into kind of concierge PT and coming into to women's homes immediately postpartum. Because again, let's be honest, when you have a baby, it's a hot mess to get out of the house. So to have someone come to you to see you in your natural environment, to be able to just, you know, how you nurse and and how your, your setup is. I mean, for me, I'm five foot six and using a pack and play as a changing table was killer on my back. Whereas for you, you're a little bit more petite. That might've been a perfect height. So just little things like that to say, hey, you're having this problem. What's going on? Let's look in your environment and see how we can adjust it because it doesn't have to be like this. You you don't have right. to suffer through all these things. Oh gosh. Okay. I have so many questions for you. Ah. Okay. <laughs> Go. <laughs> because this is, uh, this is so good, but I, I want to start with the first question. And I know I, I literally mm-hmm. emailed this question to her, you guys, is WTF is pelvic floor physical therapy? Because I cannot tell you how many times I've had people go, what? That's a thing. I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't know there's pelvic floor physical therapy. So can you Mm -hmm. just break it down and tell us like what it is, who's it for, why is it a thing? And um, what, Mm -hmm. what do you treat? Like, what does this really look like? Sure. I will do the very, very best I can. I'm probably okay. on the broad side of all of this. My, my background, I was trained in orthopedics before I was trained in pelvic health. And I just think pelvic health is orthopedics in a warm, dark place. So <laughs> it just is. <laughs> wow. Um, that, that's so, so good. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, there's a lot of people that will say you can only be a pelvic health therapist if you treat internal. I tend to disagree That might be controversial, but generally a pelvic health physical therapist is going to consider pelvic floor in conjunction with back pain, hip pain, and then pelvic floor diagnoses such as any sort of incontinence. So we're talking solid liquid gas, any sort of pelvic organ prolapse, meaning your inside organs start to exit your body. That could be uterus, cervix, bladder, rectum, or all the above. We also tend to treat uh, tailbone pain because it's down there. And sometimes orthopedic therapists think that that's like another region and they totally skip over it. We also tend to treat a lot of uh, pregnancy postpartum, orthopedic issues, so back issues, SI, pubic symphysis, a lot of diastasis recti just because that kind of goes with the, the pregnancy piece of it. So pretty much anything that nobody treats, um, that's kind of where we go. So oh God, we that's also so true. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do a lot with pelvic pain, so painful intercourse. I have a lot of patients too that aren't able to have intercourse and they want to, so we treat that. So vestibulitis, bladder issues, interstitial cystitis, painful bladder. Like honestly, I could go on for days. Endometriosis, anything that comes up, and a lot more of us are treating pediatric incontinence, male pelvic health, trans, post-gender reassignment surgery, like pretty much anything that comes up between your neck and your knee, that's kind of where we go. But as far as 
what we consider, this has changed a lot. And you'll find some variants on this geographically. Like when we were first trained, and again, I was trained back in 2001, we didn't have a whole lot of research. So everybody got kegels. We know now that there's, you know, options. And if you had painful sex, so like, oh, just have a glass of wine, it's all in your head. Fortunately, now we know there's other factors to it, but worse, you know, ideally, you're going to consider the nervous system, you're going to consider the gut and nutrition, you're going to consider orthopedics and the spine and what's going on at the neck and pressure systems and all this stuff. And so that's not how I started treating it. That's how I eventually learned to treat it and how my patients, I think, get better faster because it's a multi-system approach. This is kind of the epicenter of our body. And depending on what you've gone through before kids and what you went through, you know, during pregnancy and delivery and kind of putting all that together into a cohesive picture and then figuring out where to go from there in the context of your life and workouts and that sort of thing. So that's like the holy grail of what it should look like. There is some variance depending on people's training and so on, but you don't necessarily have to treat internally. But if, if you have a therapist that treats pelvic health externally, they should have somebody they're collaborating should there need to be an internal component to, to look at pelvic floor muscle function. Carrie, that was brilliant. Honestly, that oh, broke good. it. Okay. No, it, this is recorded. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. So you guys, if you were like, wait, that's me or, oh my gosh, that sounds like something that I have experienced or am experienced. I want you to hear that there is help and resources and support, and you should not be dismissed when your body is giving you this signal that something might not be right. And there's nothing, you know, it's not about being, oh, I'm so dysfunctional or I'm so broken. We just want to give you some hope and some guidance and I can try to help connect you. And Carrie absolutely has so many different people that that we can get you connected with so that you feel seen and heard with whatever your body has experienced or is experiencing. Absolutely. And and I think a beautiful thing is too, you know, I'm I'm in the DC area. So people have reasonably good access here. I, I grew up in a in a rural part of upstate New York. I realize that not everybody can go see a PT all the time. And right. there's a huge rise in telehealth right now. And there's so much you can do from an education perspective and you know, collaborate with people that are resources in your area. And so that's something I want to encourage as well. Like if you don't have resources locally, that's not necessarily a deal breaker. There's a lot that we can do in all 50 states. There's some form of direct access of physical therapy, meaning that you can go to a PT without a physician's order. Your insurance may, you know, limit that one way or the other or not at all, but you can by law go to a PT directly in all 50 states without an order. Okay, you guys, this is important information to take into account. You may need to listen to this part again or just take some notes if you are able to do that. Because right now we're going to move into talking about what are some of the barriers women experience when trying to get pelvic floor physical therapy. We just talked about sometimes being remote and insurance and referrals and things like that. But Carrie, I just want you to go over some of the main things if you can and almost like a piece of advice for what women can do if they are experiencing some kind of barrier. And you and I have heard heard it all from a marital yeah. barrier to cultural to spousal, yep. financial, all of this. So I would love it if you could just sort of go down yeah. the list and provide whatever solutions we do have. Right. I think the first one is just recognizing, you know, kind of what we just talked about, recognizing that you can do something. And social media is a blessing and a curse here. And on one hand, there's a lot of information. 
But on the other hand, it's like, how do you vet that and figure out, you know, what's legitimately going to get you what you're looking for and what's an, an empty promise. And I think that's probably the first one. The second one is thinking, whatever my problem is, my doctor told me to do kegels, that didn't work. I guess that's it. And totally honest, you know, 20 years ago, that's all we had. And so more and more now we're understanding the pelvic floor that yes, it needs to contract, but it also needs to relax. And there's so many of our diagnoses, including incontinence, including pelvic organ prolapse, that you actually have pelvic floors that are sitting in overactivity. And the reason why the kegels aren't working is because you actually need to be doing something different, which might actually be the opposite. And so I think being open to the possibility that even if you tried something on your own or you got one of those, you know, there's all those devices now, oh, I got the biofeedback unit and I popped it in and I did my kegels and it didn't work. That doesn't mean there's the, that that's the end for you. I think the third thing is, again, depending on who our, our resources are, PT may not be something that your GYN or primary practitioner either is familiar with or comfortable with. And, you know, that's, it's not good or bad. It's just, that may be just what it is. And they may not be referring you because they don't know better or they have never worked with a PT before. And I'm in a huge metropolitan area. I know the physicians that don't refer to me and that's fine. And I think that's where understanding that your physician is doing the best they can with what they know, but there are also some limitations to that. When I was a new PT, I thought that if I wasn't getting somebody better, it was because, you know, the physician knew the answer and I clearly didn't have the cookbook on how it was done. And I've since come to realize, and, and I have the best relationships with physicians that trust that if they can't figure something out, I'm going to kind of cover my bases to make sure that I can try and do that. So just because you're not referred there doesn't necessarily mean it's not a good option for you. It just may be that that's not on that person's radar screen and that's okay. I have plenty of patients that that happens to. And I say to them, I said, I have one favor I need you to do. I said, I need you to pay it forward. I need you to go back and share your experience with your provider and let them know because it does no good to guilt somebody about something either they don't know or they don't pay attention to. The best that we can do is go back and do the best we can to educate and give them the opportunity to do something different. So I, I think that's another barrier. I think lots of times people are scared because they think there has to be an internal mm -hmm. um, with pelvic floor PT, whether they're just not comfortable with it for cultural reasons or just scared in general, or there's a history of trauma, that's a huge factor right. too, or you don't want somebody you don't know down there. Yeah, <laughs> it happens, you know? <laughs> so I think the important thing to remember is a good therapist is going to have a really long conversation with you with your clothes on. It's not like where you go to the GYN's office and like the tech comes in and weighs you and takes your blood pressure. And before you know it, you're like freezing cold in a paper gown. Like, it's not like that. Right. <laughs> right. Like we're going to have a long conversation because if I make the decision and, and most PTs are like this too, if they're going to make the decision to go ahead and do an internal assessment, A, there's going to be a reason for it. And B, I have a pretty good sense of what I'm going to find just by what you're telling me. A good subjective goes a long way. Yes. Um, so most of my patients will pretty much tell me what's going on with them. They just have no idea that that's what they're doing. 
So there's no rule that says that you have to have an internal assessment. And again, with the ultrasound, if I have patients that are like, no way, no how, I'm like, great, we have other options. It's the same thing with kids too, because I won't, I won't do an internal under 18 years old without, you know, I just won't. And so with uh, the ultrasound, it, it provides information and the more people understand what's going on with their bodies, then they may reconsider and say, hey, you know, this is something that I do understand it's important to get this information, or it may not be. So, I mean, I think those are some big ones. On the logistics side of things, I think cost is, is also scary for people. You know, if you have insurance that covers physical therapy, it's not like it's a separate thing. If you have insurance that covers physical therapy, pelvic floor is, is considered in that. We use the same codes. I have a lot of people that are concerned about like a private clinic. So for example, I have a private cash pay business and people really don't understand their insurance. Like I, I used to work at a, a hospital a couple miles away and I had a patient who saw a colleague of mine there not realizing that her insurance tacked on an extra facility fee because the clinic was hospital-based. So she actually, her plan, she paid, I think it was $800 out of pocket to see my colleague. And she's paid like 250 to see me. And so I think the other thing to remember too is when you have somebody that says they're out of network or cash-based or something like that, look to your benefits because there's so many people with super high deductibles that you may actually be paying more going to these larger practices. And maybe it, it just depends. Like ask questions, ask, you know, are you going to see the same person every time? Is there going to be privacy? You know, am I going to be able to, to have a period of time with that therapist, whether it's, you know, 45 minutes to an hour is typically standard. And, and to be honest, that's where a lot of people are, that are therapists go into private practice is because, you know, we, we have a lot of productivity requirements working in these larger facilities. And you may not have the option as a patient to see the same person each time and, and so on. So figure out what matches with you and what you're okay with, but make sure you kind of look into that payment side of it a, a little bit because there's there's some misnomers that it's automatically cheaper to you as your insurance. It's it's not like when we were we were little and your parents plunked down the insurance card and, and that's like, hey, everything's covered. Right. Um, so something yeah, to consider. I know all of that is so I personally get very overwhelmed by all things like having to look through insurance and numbers yeah. and codes. And, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I just tell Jared, my husband, I'm like, can you just call? Can you just handle this? Cause well, it's really it overwhelming. It's understand. It is right. it's awful. It's Thanks. awful. I put like a little, and I think you actually posted a couple months ago. I, I put a call sheet. So when you call your insurance company, ask these questions to find out because yes. Every person's plan. You and I could have the same insurance company, but mm-hmm. because our employers are completely different, we might have completely different plans. So there's just no way to know. It's, um, yeah, it's really hard. And you just have to, it's one of those things where you just have to keep exactly. advocating for yourself yep. and digging mm-hmm. through and asking questions and pushing boundaries. And even if there's a lot of barriers in your way, and this is something that you know that your body will benefit from, I can't emphasize this enough. It is worth it. You have one body, like that system needs to work for you, for everything from function to your fitness, just the rest of your life. And you are worth it. And I know that there's barriers and they are valid barriers, but if you are feeling that push of like, I know this is something I should do, but there's this and there's that. And yes, there are definitely things that get in the way, but it is worth it. I try to tell my clients, even a one-time visit 
can just yes. give you the feedback and reassurance. Mm-hmm. So even if you, you don't end up go, using insurance, like do what you can to get in that one yeah. time, just whatever yeah. it is you have to do. And I say, this is an analogy that I use a lot and I do recognize it's coming from a privileged position, but I know when I go to Trader Joe's that I'm willing to spend plus or minus a hundred dollars very easily, right? Like that's mm-hmm. just, I go there and I know that this is what I'm going to do and it is worth it because I need to feed my family and there's staples of food that I get there. If we can yep. apply the same mindset to our health and body and our vagina after having a baby, <laughs> we will, like, I can't even tell you how many like different swaddles I spent on Cade, hundreds of uh, dollars buying swaddles, hoping he would freaking sleep if I just bought right. the right swaddle, but so much right? money went into that. And that was, you know, six years ago. That was not like I could just afford anything like, but it was like, dude, I was desperate to find whatever damn swaddle I could find. And like, if we're for ourselves, we don't, but we do it when we go, when we need to go grocery shopping, like we can justify our, like going to Trader Joe's or Target or Costco or the buying an outfit, going out to dinner. We're justifying Mm -hmm. these things, but like, for some reason it feels selfish or taboo, or there's resistance Mm -hmm. to do that for ourselves. Another thing I do want to say is you guys, if you're like, but I I don't have childcare, most PT clinics like this are understanding of you bringing your baby in with you. Totally. Yeah. And we make it work. And it's, I mean, I I remember like I had chance on my boob nursing and I had my PT like assessing my, and it was just like, whatever crying doesn't phase any of us anymore. Like they, they're no. boobs, <laughs> I, none of it. Like <laughs> I even, oh my gosh, I think the most I ever had, I had a woman bring in four kids that was pushing it a little bit. Baby. Could you um, imagine that? <laughs> the, the best part though, was she had, you know how like two and three year olds are kleptos and they just yeah. take everything. Mm-hmm. And so she took all like my little toys and stuff that I used for her treatment went on. She stuck it in the bottom of the stroller. Unfortunately, I remembered that they're kleptos at the age. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's pushing it a little bit, but you know, I had a two-year-old in here yesterday and we were just hanging out and that's just, I mean, I think also too, if that goes back to a lot of us got into this before and after we had kids and we just understand. And, you know, if I couldn't go to an appointment and and if the only way I had to do it was bring my kid and that was a barrier, like I I understand, I know how to handle the two-year-olds. It's fine. It's more important for me to make sure that you're okay. And but it gets sorted through. So there, there's ways to do it. You find people that, that are willing to, to work through it because we've and, been there. Yeah. Like, I guess I just feel very lucky that everyone I've worked with, especially if they're working in this capacity, they're very used mm-hmm. to it. I know Cade, yeah. I have a picture of him playing with a pelvis, like chance, oh, like yeah. falling off of a chair. Like it was fine. I, one of the PT aides, right. <laughs> right. They, they can use those lacrosse balls and do lots of things. And then like oh, the PT yeah. aides were so helpful with like, just rocking chance when he mm-hmm. was in the car seat and whatever. So I know that oh, that was it. really overwhelming for me it was like, Oh my God, I hate going out in public with mm-hmm. my kids. That would really rock it, <laughs> my anxiety. And it still does, dude, it really does. But um, oh, my that doesn't go away. <laughs> <laughs> right. It goes from like, don't have a tantrum to like, don't be an asshole. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty so, much. Oh man. Can't wait. But yeah. So <laughs> So I know we talked about it a little bit. Thank you for going over all, like a lot of the barriers that women face when trying to get pelvic floor physical therapy. But can you tell us, I know that an internal assessment is not a guarantee every time that it can be helpful feedback for sure, Mm -hmm. but what does an appointment consist of? Sure. So there's a little variance on everything, but generally when you come in, it should be in a private space, first of all. 
but you, you're going to be asked a lot of questions just like any other appointment anywhere else. But typically, it'll be questions about whatever you're coming in for. We may ask you about bowel and bladder health. We may ask you about sex because there's a lot of things that we can learn and what you're telling us to help us figure out what's going on. I even go back as far as, you know, what sports did you do growing up? Did you have any issues as a kid with bowel and bladder or, you know, did you have any hip issues that you remember have to wear anything special brace or something like that? Because there's a lot that you can learn Um, as much as we would love to throw our kids under the bus that they, you know, destroyed us in childbirth. It's really not their fault. It's really our parents' fault. Um, So um, a lot of the issues that we have can be based on our collagen. We're, We're finding now that pelvic organ prolapse may have a genetic component. I have a lot of patients that, you know, in the past they were dancers or cheerleaders or gymnasts. And so they have a lot of mobility and an aesthetic they were always trained in might have been holding or gripping aesthetic. So that's important for me to understand. I want to know, did they have bowel and bladder issues growing up? Because there might have been something already in play. You know, how old were they when they had sex? Did they ever have pain with sex? That can also give us an idea of pelvic floor function. So literally the gamut of of questions will also typically from there do an external screen. So we'll literally look, depending on kind of where the subjective points from head to toe, do you have any orthopedic injuries with your ankle or your knee or your hip? There's a huge connection between back and hip issues and pelvic issues. There's some good data that connects. If you have back pain, you're in, you have an increased likelihood to have continence issues. Same thing I, I anecdotally more with, with the hip. Lots of times we have patients that have uh, neck issues or TMJ, all that stuff can connect from just kind of a structural perspective, but also from a pressure perspective. So trying to kind of pull all this stuff together to understand Yes, what happened in your delivery, and so we'll ask a lot about that in your postpartum period, but kind of what did you walk in with? What was your experience? And then what are we dealing with now? And then from there, the internal exam, it's a little bit different than a GYN. So typically, no stirrups, which is awesome, um, (laughs) and no speculum. So typically, you'll be uh, draped with a sheet. We always use gloves. You're always going to have, there's going to be verbal and written consent typically just to make sure that you're okay. You'll, you'll be given instructions to say, if you need to stop at any time, please let us know. Like all of this is, is on you as the patient that whatever you say goes. We're, we're very cognizant that the patients need to feel control in this situation, especially if there's a past history with trauma and those sorts of things. So all that should be going on. The exam will continue externally first. They may ask you to cough or bear down or perform a contraction or a Kegel. And we want to look and see what those tissues look like. What does the skin look like? Is there any uh, scarring or tearing or, or so on? What does the tissues look like from a hormone perspective? Do we see any organ descent? What's your strategy when you squeeze? Do you throw the kitchen sink at it or you know, does nothing happen? And then typically from there, an internal exam typically is a one or two finger exam. The, the, the fingers are gloved. The therapist will insert their finger to your comfort. If you find that there's resistance or pain, typically I'll stop because I'm, I, I don't want to teach the brain that something in this area should be painful all the time. So that may happen. Or if it's comfortable, we'll press on the muscles in the pelvic floor. Some of them are pelvic floor muscles. Some are actually hip muscles. Looking for tenderness, I'll ask other questions, you know, can you 
cough again, can you bear down? I may ask somebody to show me how they breathe because we can feel breathing and movement in the pelvic floor as well. If I have a patient that they're not relaxing as well, I want to see, you know, if I ask you to breathe in a certain way, what happens? So basically I'm looking to triangulate all the information I've pulled together from the internal, I'm sorry, from the subjective and the external exam and the internal exam and come up with a good hypothesis to explain why that patient is there. And then typically you should walk away with an explanation of findings. Sometimes I have patients that come in and they have, you know, hey, I have this and it might be something completely different. Ideally it's not, but you should have an understanding of what's going on, what the prognosis is, what a session would look like, what to expect and how to communicate with that therapist from there forward. And so with a patient, I want them to be very clear on what I expect of them, but I also want them very clear on what to expect of me as their practitioner. I love that. I think that gives people such a better idea of what to expect and it doesn't have to be as intimidating or, you know, I sometimes I feel like, you know, we know that we're going in for a women's well physical. It's like, well, this is going to be awkward, but it doesn't have to be like that. You need, I mean, (laughs) if nothing else, I have always felt really loved, understood and supported when I've gone in and met with, I mean, I get to, fortunately, my career connects me to some pretty awesome people, but you know, the, the people that do this kind of treatment, pelvic floor physical therapists, they should make you feel safe and understood in that environment. Absolutely. Um, And then another point I want to add is typically when I'm coaching a variety, it doesn't have to be like super high level athletes. I'm talking about the spectrum of women I get to coach. I do encourage them to at least go in one time during pregnancy. If you have the ability to Mm -hmm. just for that baseline of collecting your history and understanding what your unique tendencies are so that you can learn early on in pregnancy, what you can do to maybe counter some of those tendencies If you Mm -hmm. have to, from a core and pelvic health standpoint, based on your history, things that we can do to perhaps improve you almost like a prehab effort so that when you're postpartum, you have a solid baseline and you're ready for the rehab because you already understand how your body works and what it does because nobody taught us this stuff ever. (laughs) I I think the other thing to, to add to that when, especially if you haven't gone through labor and delivery before you're going to get a completely different perspective from a therapist than you would from a doula or a midwife or something about just the birthing process itself. Like if you have issues relaxing, you know, we can teach you how to relax the pelvic floor. ACOG put some guidelines out, I think it was February last year, that, you know, closed glottis versus open glottis breathing for bearing down, like you can kind of go either way. And people don't necessarily understand that there's not one way to deliver. And if you learn anything from me on this podcast, do not laminate your birth plan. (laughs) I laminated my birth plan. I thought I was doing everybody a favor. I was not. My son did not read it. Weird, weird, right? (laughs) The things you do, well, you know, I I, I say as an older mom, like you feel like you can control everything and parenting teaches you like the second you conceive, you pretty much lost control. Apparently Um, this is a really common theme in my podcast and I didn't know it was going to be, but I I talk about this so much. (laughs) It's true. It's true, but it's hard. But I think that like athletically minded people are also the people that want to control all the things, all the variables. Let me know what I can do so I can have the best Mm -hmm. outcome. And we're a little bit neurotic, maybe a little bit type A and it influences motherhood. (laughs) 
<laughs> but so for, for me and the, the thing I, I share, I mean, we have, I, I think I told you the other day, like we had very similar yes. first births and I didn't go into an emergency, but it was darn close. And that was the one thing that I hadn't prepared for. And it took me a long time after my son was born. We did try to do a VBAC with my daughter and ended up with a C-section, but I, it, that was a much more comfortable choice. But, you know, I had to kind of reconcile oh my God, I'm a pelvic floor physical therapist that's never had a vaginal delivery. What does that mean? And yes. just trust that the decisions that I made at the time were the right ones with, with what I had. And I had to mourn all that in order to go on with my daughter. And we could do a whole nother podcast on that. But, oh my gosh, so um, much there. Yeah, yes. but it's it's it, I put that out lots of times to moms to be aware because I was that person that thought, oh, that's stuff that happens to other people. Mm-hmm. That's not going to happen to me. That I know better. I'm good. so smart. I'm so healthy. Oh, I'm so yeah. active. I, I'm, I'm ready right for this. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And, you know, well, what I, <laughs> I had a lovely friend. Can I swear on this podcast or no? Yeah. I mean, it's me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I had a college friend before we delivered. He's a big Irish guy. He was exceptionally drunk and just had his first kid. And he's like, the first six weeks were mind F. I'm only partially <laughs> swearing there. And he's right. And there's a lot of things that you could not tell me before I delivered. And then I was a hot mess those first six weeks. And then you can kind of start to talk about it. Yeah. So I think even just being aware that that's a possibility, you don't have to believe me, but just starting to introduce to people, hey, these resources are around when you're able to get to it or when you're ready, right. just know that I'm here. Right. Just know that Absolutely. I'm here and I get you and I understand you. So. Right. And it might like, some people are like, wow, I was kind of expecting the worst and this is great. Or some people were like, this has totally caught yes. me off guard. And so it's mm-hmm. okay to give yourself the permission to find yes. the messy, messy middle and then know that yeah. how your pregnancy is, what your birth experience is like, and even like what your entrance into motherhood looks like, whether it's a few weeks, mm-hmm. a few months, frankly, even a few years for some people, like that does not define you. You know, it is part of you, but just be like, I, you know, I had to mourn that similar to what you said. And I loved it about like, I'm a pelvic floor physical therapist and I haven't had a vaginal birth. Most people would be like, like what, who cares, you know, but for us, that's like attached to like, oh, I should be somebody who understands this or had that experience. Right. And I, as a coach athlete, I thought, well, I got, I did everything right. I was super fit. I trained, I did the things and like, what went wrong? What did I do so wrong to have a birth that went this way that I wasn't expecting, you know, mm-hmm. emergency, scary, surgical, uh, bad. Right. And then when I struggled postpartum, I'm like, I'm too strong for this. I'm too good. I can't, yeah. I can't struggle with issues. And throughout, honestly, for the past six years, since becoming a mom, there's been so much that I've had to really come to terms with and say, yep. like, what I do for a living might not always match up with what my actual like reality and my experience is. And that's okay. It doesn't make me, I'm like a, you know, just because I have issues and I struggle doesn't mean I'm not a really good coach or an athlete who gets it. And I think that we have to figure that out. I dare say that actually makes you better. Yeah. And it's one of those things that when you, when you see when things go wrong, I mean, my big joke is I went through everything possible to relate to my patients um, it wasn't on purpose, but and did I do all the things? No, but I went through a lot. And again, the blessing and the curse of social media is, and my kids were not born in the Instagram age. I mean, barely Facebook at that point. But when you're being sold this perfection that you're supposed to be, that's very much my voice right now is 
you don't have, there's no perfect way to do this. It's ugly. It's like you said, the messy middle and you're still going to be okay. And there's Mm -hmm. people that aren't going to be demanding that of you and are willing to walk that path with you and help you figure that out. And this is, you know, this is the real mom's guide. Like this is, is, it may not be perfect all the time, but how many things in your life actually are? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. You know, there's that of this part of our life. There can't be. And then, you know, there's no right way or best way. We are all just walking our own path, trying to figure out what that looks like. And it doesn't take away from what we know and what we do and how we care. Exactly. Exactly. So Carrie, you have done an amazing job of collaborating with so many different coaches and practitioners, really bridging the gap between professionals. What is your piece of advice for either coaches and trainers that want to collaborate with a PT or encouraging PTs to want to work with coaches? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's all about just sit down and talk to people and ask a lot of questions and find out where they're coming from. Again, I think that's more abundance mentality. There was a time when we were busy fighting over the same thing. And it's, it's kind of pointless because we both recognize that the other person has a different skill set, but it can be collaborative and, and you can learn something from somebody else. And I think the biggest thing too, is if you don't have a resource in your area, but you know somebody that might be interested or maybe they're not doing it exactly the way that you would like, don't put people down. Don't guilt them. Be like, Hey, you know, I would love to talk to you more about where you're coming from on this. I want to share with you a little bit about where I'm coming from. And that I, I've been trying to do that with some of our local surgeons that are doing uh, abdominal plastics. That, that's an interesting challenge. Yeah. But at yeah. the same time, like <laughs> you can't go in and listen. It's kind of like when, when I started CrossFit, like I wanted to go in and learn everything I possibly could and then start to figure out where I fit in. Go in with the remembering that you're both working towards the same goal. You're both working towards making sure that that mutual client of yours does better. And if you're working with a coach, that coach has their eyes on your client more than you do because they're you know with them a couple times a week. Be like, hey, I want you to watch for this and that. And there's nothing better to me than a coach that just wants to know. I mean, I've been working. I, I'm super blessed. I have. My CrossFit box is literally physically between my home and my office in a two block radius. So the coaches that I work out with, I I went in and did like a little workshop with them um, because a lot of them are dudes that just aren't like they're 20 something coaches and they're just, they don't know how to say vagina. They're scared of those things. And, and, you know, I said, I'm like, I've had my, all of my nether region exposed to multiple people. I'm over it. Like, (laughs) I need you to kind of just put that aside and understand that I'm going to make this comfortable for you so you can understand. But I'm like, you need to make it known that you want to be open and understand so that clients can come talk to you and share that stuff. We can open up that communication. Like, there's a ton of people that I work out with that I can tell that they have issues because mm-hmm. I can watch their habits and this and that, but the coach has no idea, but they don't go up and, you know, ask right. or nobody's going to go up and say to them. So part of it is that opening that dialogue so that everybody knows that, Hey, we're working towards this and, and we know what to do with it. So absolutely um, abundance mentality, communicate like, like crazy and just remember that we're all on the same team. Yes, we are. And coaches, if you're like listening to this, you're like, yeah, well, how would I know if someone is struggling? I have a lot of 
free information about that on my website. And also would love to have you become a pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach because we are that first line of defense where we can help from the outside in, whereas a lot of practitioners, PTs can help from the inside out. And if we can work together, then, hey, it becomes a really great system where people are being helped. And that's the ultimate goal. Um, Carrie, last question of this podcast. What is one thing you want women to know about pelvic floor physical therapy? Oh my gosh. Just Um, one. (laughs) See, that's not fair. Um, (laughs) Okay. You, I mean, you can tell me what you want to tell me. No, I'm good. No, I'm I'm good. I mean, I think, I, I think the one thing that I would say is there's no one perfect time and place for it. One of the things I I always say to people is once you're postpartum, you're always postpartum. There's always going to be a time and a place that your birth experience affects you. And whether it's immediately now or, you know, perimenopause and all of a sudden you're having issues or you're elderly, like you've carried that experience with you and a pelvic floor PT can be a great person to be able to kind of pull all these parts and pieces of your life and your movement experience and systems together and help something make sense for you. And I can't say enough for the privilege that I've had over the past 20 years to be able to gain the trust of of my patients and have them share things with me and their trials and, and tribulations and stuff and birth experiences with me. And it's been such a privilege to be able to turn around and try and give some of that back and make some change for them. So an immense honor and privilege to to work in this area. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I think a pelvic floor physical therapist can be the person that is with us through our lifetime of change as women and knowing that, you know, that they are a resource and we can go to them and they will like, I keep, I tell my clients like, Oh, I'll always be there for you. Like whether it's now (laughs) or like 10 years from now, I will always try to be a, a resource for you. And I think that or physical therapy can, is, you know, they hold, hold our hands throughout our lifetime of physical changes as women. So thank you for being such an incredible leader in the, the pelvic health realm and for just helping all of us understand from your perspective as a pelvic floor physical therapist, what options are available and what that really looks like and making it less overwhelming and just easier to understand. So you guys, um, Carrie has so many wonderful resources. If you don't follow her on Instagram, go ahead and Carrie, tell us, tell us where everyone can find you if they want to get sure. a hold of you. Sure. I, I made it super easy. Uh, so on Instagram, I'm Carrie, at Carrie Pagliano. My website is carriepagliano.com. I think I'm still on Twitter at Carrie Pagliano <laughs> and Facebook. It's Carrie Pagliano PT. So it's, it's pretty easy to find me. Absolutely. We will link to link to Carrie in the show notes and you guys, Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. Carrie, thanks for being here. Have a great, great day, you guys. Talk soon. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Make sure you head over to my website, www.briannabattles.com and find my free and paid resources and make sure to connect with me on Instagram at brianna.battles. Talk to you soon.